Hello and welcome to Game Master Studio, where we'll be talking tabletop role-playing games, tips and tricks that you can use to help bring your game at home up to the next level. Today we're going to be taking on old monsters with some new tricks to help you uh, surprise your players and spice up your game a little bit. Thank you for joining us. My name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden. And I'm Jared, a.k.a. DMF. And today, as said, we are talking old monsters, new tricks. Now, as a DM, unfortunately, there is a limited bag of tricks that you can pull from. Uh, eventually, your players are going to see everything, do everything, and it may start to get repetitive. So what we're talking about today is how to spice up some of that repetitive, boring stuff, how to surprise your players, give them encounters that they're going to be a little more wowed over, uh, they're going to sit up and take notice because it's not like anything they've seen before and it's going to break them out of the monotony especially that comes into play at low levels because if you're starting new characters every time you start a campaign you generally tend to run into the same stuff over and over again so this is just a variety of tips that you can use to spice it up make it feel different and make it exciting for your players again yeah, uh, I mean, everyone's fought goblins more than they can probably stomach, and uh, some people have fought kobolds more than they care to stomach, and they've, I know a handful of people that have fought gnolls more than they care to stomach, and so on and so on and so on. Orcs and bugbears and hobgoblins and yep. troglodytes and all the other low-level stuff that just, every new game, like, oh, goblins again. Yep. A pack of wolves. <sighs> Generic bandits. <laughs> I think the bandit mortality. I think the bandit mortality rate in D and D is so high that I don't know why anybody chooses it as a profession. Right? Yeah, it's ridiculous. They must have good healthcare. Yeah. So uh, the first option that you can use to spice up some of these encounters, make your players kind of feel new again, is actually just using tactics. Remember that your creatures are possibly people. They may be intelligent, um, especially things like orcs and hobgoblins are going to actually use some sort of military tactics. You know, a pack of wolves is going to surround and try to harry the opponent. They may retreat, withdraw, lick their wounds, heal up and show up again in the middle of the night. There's going to be a lot of different options that you can do. And we talked about a lot of this on an earlier episode when we were talking about using monster tactics. Yeah, we have a whole episode talking about using tactics. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a nice way to add some flavor because not every, uh, you know, clan of orcs is going to necessarily fight the same. You know, hobgoblins, again, are a very military-based, you know, creature. You know, they have, a you know, a, a strong structure and both, you know, they're kind of layer her hierarchy and again, but their tactics. So that means that they're going to have a bag of tricks when it comes to tactics. They're not always going to just be, you know, charge and hope that we stab them, but you know, harder than they stab us. Goblins have the skirmish, you know, kind of uh, tricks, but they don't have to always be utilizing that the same way. This group of goblins might be more of the jump out, stab you in the back, jump back into a bush. Another set of goblins might be more of a hang out in the bush and shoot you with short bows from a distance. You know, there's a variety of ways to utilize the, the tactics that are in the book, you know, written into the, their stat block. But also you can give them actual military or fighting tactics on top of that. Just because it's not written in the print 
doesn't mean that they can't say, okay, well, we're going to use this sort of, you know, we're going to surround them and then flank them from this direction. And then we're going to, you know, okay, this group of goblins is, you know, maybe they were recruited and worked with some, you know, human soldiers. They were recruited by the militia and they've, you know, developed some extra tactics that they normally wouldn't have. So, okay, we got lots of, uh, uh, punji sticks pits dug all over the place and we we got some hot boiling oil at the entrance to our cave that we're going to pour on people and you know just it doesn't have to be I shoot you with a bow yeah I well you were talking had the very scary idea of uh, you having hobgoblins use a defensive faint trap yeah which would be right up their alley party meets a small a group of hobgoblins hurts them a little bit and the hobgoblins start trying to withdraw and run away Party's going to wind up being a little bloodthirsty as they tend Tend to to, wind up being chase after the hobgoblins who a little ways down the road suddenly turn lock shields into formation again as the other hobgoblins come out of the brush on either side of the road. And now the party's surrounded. Yeah, absolutely. And that's probably a little different than the last hobgoblin encounter that they had because rarely should any any group just like line up and we're going to fight face to face to the death. Right. Yeah. So another option for spicing up your monsters and giving some new life to them. We've that we've also done a topic on is adjusting encounters on the fly. Now it's really an easy way to do behind the scenes. If things start getting a little hectic, players start running rampant over your monsters. You just kind of, send in an extra wave or give them some extra hit points or, you know, tweak them in some way subtly behind the scenes that your players might not know, but just to, to increase the challenge. Now you want to be careful that you're doing that to kind of bring balance to the game and to give that livelihood. And you're not doing it because I wanted these monsters to do really well, or I want to hurt them, the players. Yeah, if the players just keep, like, again, say you're throwing just some regular old goblins at your players, and you really wanted to wear the, the the group down a lot more than you were, or that you are currently are, don't just keep sending wave after wave after wave of, you know, stronger and stronger goblin just trying to wear down the PCs. It's just going to get tedious and frustrating and aggravate everyone at the table, because you're going to get aggravated that you're not wearing them down as much as you wanted to. And they're going to get aggravated that the goblins never seem to end just because the DM wants to try to beat them up. <laughs> now I want to see like a clown car pull up and like the doors are open, and goblins just start pouring <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's options you can do. And, and like we said, like with the tactics, we've, we've done another episode on that. You can go listen to that, get a whole bunch of ideas on what you can do to, to adjust things on the fly. So let's take a look at some of the other stuff that you can do a little bit more deliberate to kind of spice up your monsters. Um, and the first one is, is the very simple stat tweaks. Stat tweaks are a quick and easy way to, to spice up the monster. You know, you can make something tougher by upping its AC by a point. You can make it into a, a big burly boss guy by giving him maximum hit points. You can give him some extra strength. So it hits a little bit harder. There's a lot of little tweaks that you can do that just kind of give a little more pep to the monster and make it a little more, uh, interesting for your players to fight yeah i mean the easy thing to do for any any random monster is to just jack up their hit points either just give them max or even give them above max just you know throw some hit points at them especially if you want them to last you know more than a turn or two or a round or two uh other things you can do is you know screw with uh your if the monster has resistances 
change those resistances or give them resistances if they don't already have them. You know, if you want to worry about, if you're worried about balances, you know, turn around and give them some weaknesses too. Fine, whatever. But, and we've made this reference before, but you know, you know, if you want to screw with your party a little bit or, you know, they've fought, you know, even if they've, their characters have never fought trolls before, all players seem to know how to, you know, throw fire and acid at trolls. Maybe this is some weird swamp troll that instead of being resistant to, I mean, it's, um, yeah, instead of being weak against fire, is actually resistant to fire because they have a naturally slimy, moist skin. So you actually want to hit them with like lightning or something like that. But tweaking those Swamp resistances. Swamp troll is weak against soap and water. <laughs> uh, but screwing with those resistances a little bit, uh, you know, and weaknesses and different, you know, different uh, things on the stat block other than just, you know, hit points or strength uh, stats can keep things a little bit, you know, sp- you know, keep things spiced up, keep things a little bit fresh. Uh, you know, tweak them a little bit. Uh, it's also that kind of touches on the, you know, the next thing that we're going to get into, which is reskinning. But, you know, it doesn't even have to be, you know, a full reskinning again. You know, that's just a tweak to the troll stat. Like, you know, you can still present it as a troll. You can describe it as pretty much the same, except for instead of it being your standard, you know, your your typical troll that you find, you know, in the cave or in the forest or whatever. He's just done. And they don't have to encounter him in a swamp. They're just are now a quote unquote swamp troll. But play up the description, you know, talk about how there's like water dripping off and there's very, very musky, mildewy scent from them. And, you know, if they if any of them like touch it, like it grabs one of them or like a monk hits it, like it's a slime on its skin. Maybe it has advantage on uh, slipping grapples. If someone tries to grapple him, he has advantage on acrobatic checks to slip out of it because he's all gooey and slippery. You know, just and that's a lot of flavor to that character or to that monster stat now, too, instead of it just being the I mean, and don't get me wrong. Trolls are cool all by themselves. But instead of it being just another troll, now we got the the slippery, cool swamp troll that slips grapples, you know, so you don't have to worry about your fighter, you know, easily pinning it down while they chop off its head or whatever, you know, and it's resistant to fire instead of weak against fire. And now, but you know, but now it's weak against, you know, lightning. You can also use some of the mundane things to help impart uh, certain moods to a scene. Um, I know I've used jack up the stats on a on a monster and the players hit it for a really good hit and it just kind of shrugs it off. Mm-hmm. Now your players are like, oh, no, we've got a fight on our hands. Yeah. Um, also, if you're using tech at the table, uh, which we've talked about a couple of times, D20 Pro has the option to show and track all the party's hit points. So the players could hit it and just see how little a percentage of that hit points it was. And then they're like, oh, this is something we need to take more seriously. Yeah, I've had a few different situations that are like, oh, it's just one of these guys. And then they hit it like, oh, this is a little bit more of a fight than I thought it was going to be. And the biggest heart attack was uh, we went up against creatures that had temporary hit points. Yes. So we hit it and did wiped out all of its temporary hit points and did a couple points of regular damage, which we saw as just a tiny sliver to its health. And we're like, Oh, these guys have a ton of hit points. Yeah. Oh God, this is going to be rough. But then the next hit is like, Oh, Oh, okay. I had a small heart attack there yeah. for a second. Or you could make it so you don't show the hit points. So they have no idea what's going on. You know, they just, these seem, these things seem like they're yeah. lasting longer than they should. And that's where it comes into like, Oh wow. I, I just crit on that thing and he didn't go down. Like I thought these things only had 13 hit points maximum. I just hit him for 15. He's not even flinching. You can actually go the uh, the reverse on the whole uh, stats too. And actually like, especially if you want to kind of make more of a, uh, a 
set piece and kind of maybe especially if you played like some fourth edition or like the, like the idea of minion monsters or monsters that are going to go down a little bit easier to like just kind of be there to help fill the ranks so they're not able to just 100 focus on like like the mini boss or the big guy that's there so say you have again like we're just going to keep using goblins i guess say you have like a goblin boss you know that's there and you don't want the whole party to just go over and gang up on the goblin boss and have him go down in two rounds because he just got hit five times twice in a row you fill it with a bunch of little goblins. Instead of giving them their normal hit points or jacking up their hit points, you can reduce their hit points. Give them half hit points. Maybe only give them one hit point, like fourth edition style, and just make them little minion monsters. So all you got to do is hit them, and then you're going to go down. It doesn't, you know, like, even if you only give them four hit points, they're probably going to go down from a hit. So it doesn't really matter if they have one or if they have four. And having played and enjoyed fourth edition, using minions well can make for not only a good scene, but it also gives different party members different things to do. People who can make multiple attacks or hit multiple enemies are deadly against minions, and you can use them uh, to hold the tide. I had an encounter that was really well-received that just had an endless stream of minions. They had to beat the boss, but there's always going to be minions coming in. And a couple of players were just there. They're just killing minions, holding the line. Like, you guys got to take care of this because we can't keep this up forever. Right, yeah, exactly. You know, if you have, you know, say again, you have like this little goblin encounter, like that you have the goblin boss who's like the real the real encounter of the of the situation. We have a bunch of these goblins coming in, and maybe they're not necessarily endless, but you have just goblin, you know, waves coming after goblin wave. And basically they the waves won't stop coming until you beat the boss, and then all of a sudden their morale is gonna be broken and they'll run away and leave you guys all alone. You can have even if it was on flat open ground, which is not necessarily what I would consider an ideal, you know, uh, or interesting set piece. But you can have the boss in the middle of all these minions. So first they have to get break through the tide of minions, which isn't hard because they all like are one-shotted. But you have to get through them all. And then you're going to want, you know, probably a couple of the PCs just stemming back the tide. Yep. While a couple of the other ones beat on this boss. Uh, Plus you have the, the fun trick of the goblin boss that grabs a nearby goblin to take the hit for him, yep. which is great. And if you have like swarm after swarm of goblins coming in, he's got an endless supply. Being, I mean, he can only do that once per uh, turn, I believe. I think it's a reaction. Uh, but still, he can, you know, every turn he's going to get a free hit. We're like, oh, yep, threw this guy in front of me. Oh, thanks, Bob. Oh, thanks, Larry. Oh, thanks, Chuck. Oh, thanks, Frank. And that means the players now need to take in consideration, can we keep the little goblins away from this guy? Yeah, and they're all so okay. Can we either keep uh, the guys away from him so we can't they can't keep absorbing hits for him, or now we have to plan our tactics to like have one throwaway hit before we start throwing the big hit. Right. We don't want the paladin wasting a giant smite just to have you know Bob, Larry, or Chuck absorb it and get one shotted. You know I they're going to get one. Got a lot of hit points. <laughs> you know they're going to get one shotted anyway, so we're going to want to throw some you know random crap hit. And then go for the giant smite or whatever attack it is. Yeah. And there's a lot you can do. Yeah. Tweaking up or down and, you know, just to make it interesting and, you know, kind of highlight the, the players are the star of the show. Um, another huge one that we've got is reskinning. Reskinning is a wonderful tactic for the lazy GM. That's and, funny because that's what I was saying. Like, this is one of my favorite tactics. <laughs> I, I, use, I use it a ton myself because it's quick and easy and it keeps your players on their toes. Uh, yeah. You do use it all the time. So, why don't reskinning? Take it away. Uh, uh, yeah, I reskin things fairly often. Uh, one of the adventures that I ran that I probably utilized this the most was when I ran my players through the Feywild. It was in early fifth, um, early after fifth edition was released. 
So I'm just looking through the monster manual and I'm like, well, there's only so much fairy stuff in here. And I want to do, you know, and I really want, and I had a newer player, not a brand new player, but a newer player that had kind of only seen like, seen like the nitty gritty side of D&D because they were playing in my nitty gritty world. So I was like, well, I'm going to take them to the Feywild. I'm going to show them kind of like, you know, the the fantastical, you know, the mystical, the fantastical, you know, the the ultra high fantasy kind of stuff, you know, where the the grass is, per, you know, pinkish purple. And, you know, like there's uh will of the wisp just flying around and everything just seems, you know, magical. Seems like, you know, ultra high fantasy D&D. I need to fill this world with a bunch of monsters for them to fight. What do I do? Well, the real world is just full of like, you know, animals and beasts. The Feywild should be full of animals and beasts. So I just went through the the, the monster manual and grabbed some random monster, or some random beasts, you know, slash normal animals. Uh, type is beasts, whatever you want to call them. Um, but I reflavored them. You know, again, I was using D20 Pro, so I was going looking for pictures online, and I just found, like, some really weird, fantastic-looking pictures and I would just take the stats like one of them was like a rhino. And instead of it looking like a regular rhino, it was this weird green four legged creature that had like a flower for like a horn kind of coming off like of it. Flowers snout. growing out of his horn. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. flowers growing out of his horn. And I called it a, I don't know, I just ran through some syllables together. It was like a, you know, like a, a snarg frog or snargers or whatever, you know. And it was like, okay. And now, and I just used the rhino stat block. That's all I did. It was just rhino stat block. With this weird picture described as this, you know, four-legged green thing with these flowers growing out of its snout. I called it a fraggle horn or something, and boom, I have a weird, fantastic creature. No one had any idea that it was supposed to be a rhino. I did the same thing for, you know, a pack of wolves. I did the same thing for... Um, Giant ape. Giant ape, yep. Owlbear. Uh, owl, yeah, I did do an owlbear. That was one of the few things that was a like a monstrous, a monstrosity in 5th edition. But yeah, most of them were just beasts. Uh, I think one of the few uh, actual fey that I used was like I used like a hag at one point. But yeah, most of it was just beasts, reskinned, gave them weirdo names, and used cool pictures and descriptions, and that was it. And no one had any idea until I told them. Yeah, I've used it in my games as well. You know, the players hear about oh, there are, there are things in the bog, and they're like oh, what, what are they? Oh, they're just they're just crazy weird things. And they go in and it gets described as like, oh, they've got like they're camouflaged and they have like this predator shimmer and they've got these bone plates and these claws and all this. And they, they like reek of death and they're fighting that. And then they're like, wow, those were really awesome. Like what? The troglodytes? They have a camouflage advantage and claw attacks and the stench. Yep. Um, I did Fenwalkers as like an insect swamp thing. And it was Thrykreen, except into the, instead of the desert, they're in the swamp. Mm-hmm. And just... You know, the players are like, oh, there's these things that we don't know what they are and they don't know what they are. But I have the full stat blocks right there made and balanced already for the game. Yeah. I mean, you just call it something different and describe it a slightly differently. And all you have to you don't even have to, like, come up with an original idea on the description if you don't want to. Again, like with the troglodyte thing that Jerry mentioned, you know, like they those descriptions he gave were just a interpretation of what was already there yeah you know what i mean you didn't like have to reimagine the creature per se just like okay well they have like a camouflage advantage so they have like a predator shimmer because they're kind of like cloaking into you know but they but that's that's there in their stats you know you didn't even really give them anything and it was just the bog things had like a predator shimmer where actual troglodytes just have like shifting colors on their skin right it helps them with camouflage yeah 
So yeah, again, just a, a basically a reimagining. Uh, you know, again, you can go a little bit more overboard in, in different ways and come up, you know, and come up with cool names, and you could put a lot of thought into them and take, uh, you know, a monstrous race like you know hobgoblins or take a regular animal like a great ape and completely like reinvent it again using the same stats or you can just use it as kind of like a throwaway thing which i kind of did you know with the feywild you know it's all depends on what you want to do but you can go in through and say okay well i have this homebrewed world and nothing in your homebrewed world uses the standard name like there's no goblins in my world there's the choo-choos there's no you know there's i don't have uh hobgoblins they're the 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 great locos and you know and like and just go through and just rename everything and give them a slightly different look or a completely different look and use all the same stats all the same mechanics and all the same fluff that's built into you know how they work you just call them something different present them a little bit differently i might even go so far as to be like okay the orcs these are you know, I'm taking the stat block for orcs, but these are raiders from the north, and they're just humans. Right. And you know, they're just these wild, they're dressed in, in in skins and pelts, and they've got weird, like, spiky weapons, and you don't, they're just orcs. And then from the east is, like, this militaristic land, and I'm just using the stat block for hobgoblins, but flavoring them so they look like Roman legionnaires or something. Yep. You know, and just taking the kind of inspiration for the creature and taking it back to that appearance-wise, while keeping all the same stats. Yeah, what's interesting is I was thinking something kind of like the, the midway point of where I was and where you went, because I was thinking, like, well, maybe you have orcs in your world, but no one calls them orcs. Technically, their race is orcs, but maybe they're known by, like, their clan name or yeah. maybe, like, a family name or something like that. Like, there's no orcs. There is, you know, the the Raka and the Raka are the great and powerful, you know, the orc clan but they're always known as the Raka. They're never really referred to as orcs, even though technically, you know, they are orcs. And if you were to ask them, you know, like what race they are, they would say orcs, but they would be like, you know, but they call themselves the Raka. And you could go that and take that and say, okay, well, technically I'm not even really reskinning anything. I'm just giving them lore. a background and lore. Exactly. And, you know, so again, orcs are still orcs and goblins are still goblins, but the orcs are known, you know, as the Raka and the goblins are known as the Rasha. And, you know, then you just go through and just, add a lot of flavor and story and fluff around them. And that still gives them a, a flavor that you don't normally have. And it gives them a place in your world. Right. It helps your, give your world some synergy, some, you know, this all makes sense. It all fits together. Yep. And you can d just make it more immersive for your players because then maybe somebody is like, Oh, you know, you're a Raka. You know, my clan is called the Raka Slayers. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm, like, I'm already throw down with them at any time. And now your player is more invested in your world. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do just by just changing the names. And that's all that's really all reskinning is. Yeah. Change yeah. the names, change the description, take all the same numbers that have already been written and balanced. Yeah. And having made some of my own creatures, it's a lot easier than making them from scratch. Trust me, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, another good option for, for bringing some spice to your, to your, what you thought were worn out creatures is take some time and go back and reread their information. There may be something in there you missed. There may be some cool abilities that you haven't been taking advantage of. Um, you know, I know early on in fifth edition, we're like, oh, goblins. Yeah. Goblins are goblins. And then 
uh, Jared went back and read the stat blocks and he's like, wait, Jared, the goblins, they can disengage and hide as bonus action. Like they should be like darting all over the place and running around and disappearing during the battle. The next time we had to fight goblins, it was a pain because they're running around and dodging away and hiding. And we had to chase them down and we're running all over the place. Yeah, it was kind of a uh, skirmish, counter skirmish situation. It was, it was very fun. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, also the other thing, too, is a lot of people, when they go to look up a monster, they look at, like, the the physical, what I refer to as, like, you know, well, what's commonly referred to as the stat block. But typically, if you say stat block to me, I think, like, the page. You know what I mean? Yeah. But a lot of people are literally looking inside, like, that tan block of 5th edition. You know what I mean? What this, is its plus to hit? How much damage yeah, does it the, do? The How many actual stats. They're not necessarily reading the several pair. Almost every, pretty much, I can't think of, there's might be a few exceptions, but almost every monster in that book has at least a couple of paragraphs written about it. In which it might have something about, you know, it's society, it's, you know, ecology, or, you know, there's a bunch of different random information, and it's not 100% consistent against all the, across all the monsters. But typically, at the very least, there's some sort of kernel of nugget of, of inspiration that talks about, like, their tactics. Yep. Or how they might approach a fight. Which could be something that you already are, you know, do, but it might be something that you never really occurred to you. Or, you well, I never took the time to actually read this stuff. And even if you're not going to use what they tell you, the rest of the information there might inspire you to use a tactic or to add some extra flavor to, you know, the creature that you're throwing down with. Okay, well, I didn't realize that, you know, the Kenku, you know, like, okay, the Kenku, like, this is their stat block, all right, whatever, they're crow people looking things. Oh, I didn't realize that they talk only in, in mimicking. It's basically just like, you know, a poly want a cracker situation. Like, if they haven't heard it, they're not going to say it. They are capable of language. They understand, or they're capable of, you know, processing and understanding what's said to them, but they have to parody in order to speak. I actually, when you say Kenku, I went a completely different, dif different direction because I know that, you know, okay, here's the Kenku, here's the sap block and you're going to have a fight, except Kenku don't do that. They're going to like hide. They're going to use the mimicry to like, try to peel off individual players. They're either going to ambush. They're going to, they, they don't do a stand up fight. They're, they're almost like a race of rogues in many yeah. way. And if you, if you put a block of Kenku up against a party in a, like you're here, we're here, let's smash heads against each other until one side is dead. You're not using the creature to their full ability. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And again, where they only parody, but they can mimic and parody things you could have a, you know, a flock of, I would assume they're referred to as a flock, a flock of Kenku, you know, in hiding where the PCs don't know what they're walking into. And they're just sitting there like mocking and parodying and imitating a bunch of other ferocious monsters. Like, oh my God, there's a fucking pack of T-Rexes here. Get GTFO. Let's get out of here. <laughs> turn around, turn around. Over here. You just all of a sudden hear a bunch of predator clicking and you're like, they're in the trees. Get out of here. <laughs> Quick, shoot the jungle. Uh, so, yeah, so you can get some inspiration just by sitting down and reading that. Uh, or if there's any, if they show up in fiction, you might get some ideas from that. You know, read a story about someone going out and fighting orcs and maybe you get an idea on how orcs might fight differently. Um, you can also grab inspiration from, from other uh, materials and sources like, I actually play orcs in my game very similar to the 40k orcs in that there are big hordes and mobs and they're just kind of this they, they orcs feel more like a rampaging force rather than like rank and file soldiers of a dark army they're this they're this 
just giant masses that come down and you just either like you try to survive or you try to get out of the way. Yeah, I play them like that probably half the time because, you know, but I mean, I don't get into a lot of the fluff in my world, but like there's two primary origins of orcs. So even though they're biologically the same, like there's one that kind of has like more of the orc 40k kind of thing going on and one of that's more of the fantasy standard D&D. Yeah, that's it's really fun to play them like that. Uh, another thing that I do tend, I don't play a lot of hobgoblins typically, but when I do run them, uh, the thing that usually goes through my head lately, again, because I know that they're very militaristic is like, I think of three, the movie 300 and I try to play them like Spartans, you know what I mean? You know, having that, that phalanx thing going on and like working together in unison, like, you know, spare shield, bam, you know? Yeah. So, you know, again, you can pull inspiration from anywhere and then just apply it to whatever monsters you want. I earlier mentioned doing the hobgoblins as like a Roman legionnaire type, which is oh, pretty yeah, much yeah, the same pretty thing. Much exactly, yeah, same yeah. thing. Yeah. And like the ones in the back are chucking javelins over the shield yeah. wall. And, um, and we also have the option, of course, you can just flat out just make new powers out of whole cloth and just give them extra stuff to make them different. That you're that you don't even need to explain some of these, but you can do stuff. You can, um, the first option we have on the list, we have class levels. Yeah, That's I, I think wonderful. That, uh, adding classes to uh, creatures. I mean, obviously, I would I would tend to add class levels to you know the. Uh, I kind of like think of them like as like the beastmen races, the humanoid kind of races again, like goblins, orcs, hobgoblins, bugbears. You know, things that you might beg your DM to actually play as in a game. Um, you know, assuming that you're the player. You're not typically going to add class levels to, you know, the rhino. But, hey, I mean, the, to each their own. There's no rule saying you can't. <laughs> I see a rhino on a source with, like, three levels of rogue. <laughs> I backstab you. Oh, you backstab me. All right, buddy. Right in my spine. Uh, but, yeah, if you add class levels, again, I, I try to, like, say you're having, I keep going to the goblins for this, you know, episode. So, like, say we're going with a goblin encounter. I probably wouldn't give class levels to the whole group of goblins, but I might have, like, the shaman in the mix. Or give, like, the goblin boss, like, some levels of fighter or something like that. You know what I mean? But, you know, some druid levels or sorcerer levels or even wizard levels to, like, a shaman or whatever you want to call him. The witch doctor or, you know, give him some kind of, you know, cool, you know, beast man sounding kind of magical, mystical kind of name. Or, you know, again, slap some fighter levels on the big boss. They're like, oh, yeah, whatever. It's just a goblin boss. He's probably only got, like, 36 hit points and can only, like, attack once. Whatever. Okay. Oh, my God. He's taking a hit. He's hitting me multiple times. This guy hurts. This sucks. Or barbarian levels. Oh, barbarian's great. Yeah, absolutely. You know, monk levels could definitely be a surprise. He could be fueled by the dark arts and have paladin levels. Yeah. And maybe, like, his smites are necrotic instead of radiant or something. Or maybe he's made a deal with a devil and he's a warlock. And, you yeah. know, and you're like, oh, my God, he's a warlock uh, pact of the blade or whatever. And like he's got some spells and some zappiness and he's got some, a sword or something. like. So there's lots of things you can do there. Um, another thing that I would recommend personally, you know, if you're going to go that route also is don't call him orc boss or goblin boss or I should say. But, you know, give them a name. You know, if they're going to get levels and extra powers, yeah. I think they deserve a name. And then even if you don't have other goblins there to support, when you intro them, you can throw them off because you're not introducing goblin boss number 37. You're introducing, you know, Ook Ock 
the the great and you're like oh god what that what the heck is an ook ok the great okay and then you give the description of what it looks like and you can go out of your way to try to make it not sound like a goblin or a goblin boss you just describe what he looks like you know with some goblin-esque features in your description you would think he's a goblin but goblins max out at like four feet tops and this guy's like five five and got a sword as big as he is yeah, it's crazy. You don't even look like he can wield the thing, but you know he's doing it with like. And then he with starts ease. like spinning it. Yeah. yeah. So you know that throws them off because then again it's kind of like reskinning, but it, with some trickery because you've added some stuff to them. It's not a just. It's not just a pure reskin. You're describing them as you know uh, by their their name, not by their race. And adding class levels allows them to be a threat to a wider range of PC levels. Yes. You know now. Oh. It, we're fifth level. We'll go take care of that goblin. Oh, the goblin that's got eight levels in fighter. You're just going to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. You're not taking care of him. Like he's no chump. Yeah. Uh, another option is just giving him a few spells. Yep. Uh, even if you, especially if you reflavor or reskin the spells somehow, um, you know, or you could do it with magic items. Like maybe you, ha- the, the, boss has a potion of healing on him and he gets hurt and downs it heals oh no now he's now he got health back now we gotta try to wear that down or you know he throws a rune stone on the ground and it breaks and casts thunder wave yeah i was gonna say if i'm gonna give you know especially if this isn't like a big boss encounter or you're worried about your things falling into your player's hands try to lean towards consumable items like you know again potions scrolls you know, uh, shatterable runes or what, you know, however you, however you want to disguise the spell or the ability. But again, remember if you give them a, a plus five, Holy Avenger, that could end up in your player's hands, <laughs> which, which magic items is the other thing on the list. Yeah. You know, because you can spice it up by giving them a ring of fire resistance. Yep. Which is also fits into the internal logic of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, Oh, we just killed the goblins. Now let's open their chest. And there's, magic scale mail and a ring of fire resistance. Why wasn't somebody wearing these? Yeah. Why was this just sitting in a chest? Yeah. So it adds a little spice and lets your players talk about, you know, what they've, what they've been through and what they've done. You know, this, this person is wearing the magical armor that he took from this person at, when they killed them at this battle. And, you know, and you can have like weapons that start to get legacies and build in that history into your world. Yeah. I much prefer magic items that came from somebody or something and not from somewhere, you know, unless it was like, okay, well I found this legendary, you know, sword in the bottom of the pit of the abyss. You know, I had to traverse a hundred level layers of the abyss to get this sword. Then that's a story all by itself. But you know, Finding the, you know, the fire resistant scale mail on the goblin boss I had to, you know, slay with my bare hands is much more interesting a tale than I got this out of a chest. You might have still had to go through I the ca- same I killed fight. the hobgoblin and he was sitting on a chest and this was it. Yeah, it might have still been the same fight, but it's not going to be like, oh yeah, I killed, you know, this crazy dude and took this from his body. It's going to be, yeah, I, t- I got it out of a chest. Oh, was there anyone guarding the chest? Yeah, I mean, there were some guys guarding the chest or whatever, but yeah, yeah, I found it. I think so. I think there was. Yeah, there might have been. So there's there's stuff you can do, you know, make that story and make it into a story that the players want to tell. You know, it's it's much more interesting to have that than like, oh, gee, I have three magic swords. 
I can only use one of them. Uh, I'm going to keep this because it has the best stats and sell the other two. Instead, it'll be like, I'm not selling this plus one sword. I got this from the goblin chieftain when we saved this town. And then you start to raise, you know, you have like a squire that you're working with. And like, now it's time you've proved yourself. You're, you're part of the group here as a gift. I want to give you this. This was the first you know, magical blade I ever used. Now I'm passing it on to you. Write your own legacy with it and add to the history. And then just, you know, you that's your players then get to walk away and go, oh, dude, this is a really cool story that happened in the game this weekend. You got to hear this. Yeah, it's much more fun for the players to live through the story a magic item might have or for them to create a story that the magic item might have. I know a lot of people that will like, oh, well, there's this. This is a relic that I came up with for my game. And here's the huge epic story behind it. But you you hand off the sheet of the epic story to the player. and They're gonna be like, oh, yeah, whatever. Cool. So this is like a plus three fire tongue sword. All right, whatever. But you make them live through the event that and even though that might not be the the full history of this weapon, that's the history that they care about now. That's the yeah. story that they're going to tell. They're not going to recant the the story, you know, the page and a half that you wrote about the sword. They're going to recant the story of how they got the sword themselves. Yeah. And then it's just the more history that they have that they created as part of your world, the more invested they're going to be, the more they're going to be in the game the more they're going to be rampant to come back. And like, I want to see what else happens. So thank you for joining us today. That was uh, our little talk on old monsters, new tricks. If you have any good commentary or good stories that you'd like to tell, feel free to hit us up and we'll see you the next time we're in the studio.